This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. This is the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Maggie. My name is Brian. And today we have a very, very special guest today. We have Bao Nguyen, and he's an award-winning Vietnamese-American filmmaker whose past work has been seen in the New York Times, HBO, NBC, Vice, RK, and PBS. Welcome, Bao. Thank you so much for hopping on this podcast with us. Can you give us an introduction of yourself? Uh, I think, I mean, you did pretty well, I guess. Uh, well, you know more about your story. Don't be modest. <laughs> hard talking about myself. I guess you can add to that list ESPN since uh, oh, okay. a, a couple of days ago. But yeah, I'm a LA slash Saigon-based filmmaker. Do mm-hmm. uh, uh, I direct, produce feature films, commercials, music videos, documentaries, any type of storytelling, I'm into it if it's visual. Um, even when it's not visual, I might be into it, but I haven't, I haven't really explored that side quite yet. And um, yeah, I'm calling from my new LA uh, downtown uh, apartment. So wow, wow, congratulations, congratulations, that's amazing. Uh, we saw your background too. It looked, it looked like you lived in New York for a little bit for your undergrad. Did were you born and raised in New York, or did you immigrate over here? No, I was born in uh, this, this city called Silver Spring, Maryland, which is right outside Washington, D.C. It's immediately mm-hmm. outside Washington. And I lived there until I was 17. Then I moved to New York for college. I went to NYU. Mm-hmm. And then I lived in New York, like on and off for like 12, 11, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Asia, to Vietnam, for about uh, seven years. Wow. Um, then I was in London uh, for a little bit. That's where we edited the film. Mm-hmm. And then I am now here in LA. That's amazing. Wow. I mean, how has your experience and your ability to, to narrate your story has changed from since you were first starting out and your experience in Vietnam too, you know? We, we understand there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that feel like they can just travel anywhere for inspiration. We wanna hear what that journey was like for you. Mm-hmm um in terms of like traveling and inspiration just um people would like this is the longest uh i've not been on a plane it's been <laughs> like three months yeah it's probably the longest in uh 10 years that i haven't been on i usually wow. am traveling like every couple of months at the very least right it's a bit weird i want to get on a plane i'm one of the weird people <laughs> you have that itch because um, huh? i just have that like kind of urge to travel um, right i used to intern for anthony bourdain's company 0.0 wow. and yeah. he passed away i mean his his death anniversary was yesterday so i was just like thinking about him for a minute just like his idea of like always moving and never staying stagnant mm-hmm. and just kind of learning from the people around you uh and it's, I mean, that's also kind of like how Bruce Lee was um, and the, the idea of being water, always being fluid. Right. And uh, I think for me in my work, I'm, I'm always kind of inspired by the places I go to, the places I live. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, that, that's why it's weird not just being in one place for so long. And I've, I mean, I've, I've also kind of um, taken advantage of being able to kind of decompress from that lifestyle since it's a bit intense and mm-hmm. just be a little more grounded. But yeah. I think it's, I think for a lot of people, they've been antsy, especially Asian hustlers or yeah. uh, uh, just trying to be in one place and yeah. Yeah, we can definitely speak from our experience too. We do feel a bit antsy in place. Yeah, definitely. You know? But we feel like your story in particular, we do want to amplify it a lot. You know, we think that your way of storytelling, your accomplishments, your accomplishments, your achievement, achievement is really inspirational for our community. Mm-hmm. 
I definitely want to hear a lot more. So you kind of, you know, take the narrative back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So to, to when you were younger, too, like, what was the cause of, like, this inspiration and your drive to, like, become such a great storyteller as, as a child yeah. to now? Yeah, and how did you get into filmmaking? Or were you always doing filmmaking before? Or what were you doing before if it wasn't? Yeah, so, I mean, it really goes back to my parents' journey because they were Vietnamese, you know, war refugees, and mm-hmm. they left Vietnam after, like, seven attempts to, like, Wow. OG hustlers yeah. um, to, to make it to uh, they left on a boat and they were stuck at sea for two weeks mm-hmm. and um, after two weeks they landed in Hong Kong and they mm-hmm. they were living in a refugee camp with my little uh, well, older sister but she was only six months old at the time mm-hmm. and um, they were there for six months and then they got sponsored to come over to America and mm-hmm. I was born a few years later and I think that you know the mentality of being an immigrant child mm-hmm. there's like a burden or responsibility that you you feel like you have they never explicitly said it but you know asian parents they just kind of like they don't need to say it for you to feel right. guilty in many ways yeah. and so i i always felt like i had to take on a job that was more uh, stable and mm-hmm. you know lucrative so i was planning to be a lawyer for a long time um mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I was always drawn to the visual arts. My parents owned a small business, like many immigrant parents do. And it was a fabric store. And um, my sister, uh, who was five years older than me, she would be cutting the fabric. Mm-hmm. And I was the cashier. And I started working there when I was five. Wow. And um, a lot of the customers, you know, they would get their fabric, they would take their, their receipt, and then mm-hmm. they would have to hand it to me. They saw this like little five-year-old Asian boy and they're like, we're not going to give you our money. And I would just like take the receipt from them, like grab it from them. And I just like ring it up really quickly on the, on the cash register. And I think I, I impressed a few people because I started getting tips, um, oh. cash tips. And then uh, I, I, after I got a few cash tips, I put like a tip jar out. <laughs> and um, but just to relate back to like the story of, of, me being a filmmaker, mm-hmm. this is like the late 80s, early 90s. Um, I, you know, at that time there weren't iPads and my parents weren't gonna get me like a Game Boy. So I was like bored out of my mind each Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I was working like from eight, you know, like 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. every weekend and it was intense. As a five-year-old, you need some sort of uh, stimulation. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had the back of these, um, invoices these receipts mm-hmm. they were blank and i would basically just draw on them all day long and um like looking back at it the the trash bin was just like full of my drawings mm-hmm. and um i didn't know it at the time but i was actually like storyboarding i was like yeah. drawing out scenes and stories mm-hmm. um, on each sheet of paper and so that kind of got me interested in like that side of my brain the creative side mm-hmm. um kind of fast forward and I was in um, fourth grade and there was like a class assignment mm-hmm. to like sell a product that was like our fourth grade assignment. Uh, and it was supposed to be a written assignment, but for some reason I had the urge to make a video or like yeah. film, a short film. And um, I borrowed my neighbor's like VHS camera and I, I made like a Nike commercial at the age <laughs> of nine. And awesome. I really wish I had that still, but it's not around because I'm, I was like talking to Nike the other day <laughs> and they're like, oh, we love to see it. Like, I wish I had it. Um, but, you know, I, even though I had like these urges to fulfill my creative side, I, I always was like, okay, I'm not going to be a lawyer. And because um, uh, I was always sort of politically active, like socially active, um, right. living near Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. I would like go to protest when I was like 15 and I would, you know, read a lot of like, civil rights literature when I was like in middle school. So I was yeah. always into that side of, of my uh, upbringing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I ended up going to NYU, mm-hmm. which has this really amazing film school called Tisch. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I felt like I'm, you know, my parents wouldn't have approved of me going to film school. So yeah. again, I pushed uh, the law side of me more and also part of me thought it was too late for me to be like a legit filmmaker at the age of 17. Um, <laughs> because there's like, if you think of like some really famous 
American filmmakers like Spielberg, he started shooting. And at the time, I totally forgot about this like commercial that I directed. I didn't think of it. I just thought of it as a class assignment. I didn't think of it as like something I made as, as a film. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he was like shoot, shooting eight millimeter when he was 12. And now that I look back at it, I'm like, oh, I was nine and I was making stuff. So mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I, I got a really good liberal arts degree and just had mm -hmm. something that was much more well-rounded than just going to film school as an undergrad. Yeah. And um, I just, I also um, took elective courses at NYU in their film mm -hmm. school when yeah. I had extra courses, free credits. And so that also helped me evolve as a mm -hmm. storyteller, as a filmmaker, uh, even if it was just a passion at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so fast forward to like um, me preparing to like go take my LSAT. I, I did all, everything I needed to do to have like the best possible application. Mm -hmm. I was like in AmeriCorps, I was, in the Peace Corps, I wanted to be a human rights lawyer, and uh, I worked for NGOs at like all different yeah. levels, and I studied like six months straight for my LSAT. Yeah, because I was like, I need to go to like at least a top five law school to mm -hmm. to to be a really great lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I remember like the day that I was taking my LSAT, I um, you know, I was sitting in my car in the garage keys in the engine and I just like look at myself in the mirror and I'm like do I want to be a lawyer just thinking of all wow. like this creativity that I pursued in my past life and mm -hmm. I remember this like time in my life when I was younger when my dad um he'd come home late after working at the store like mm -hmm. you know we'd have dinner like at 9 p.m and like 9 or 9 30 10 p.m when dinner was over he would take out like a piece of paper and he would sketch on it mm -hmm. and uh me and my sister were, like would cover over him to watch him sketch because he, he was really good at it yeah. and he told uh, my sister and i that he'd always dreamt of being an architect but because mm -hmm. of moving to america and having to take care of his family he didn't think that that would have been um you know a, a right move a stable move to support right. his family Mm -hmm. And then I came to like the realization, like as an immigrant child, maybe it isn't like necessarily pursuing the lucrative, like super traditional route of like becoming a doctor or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. They came over here to give us a better life, to let us follow our passions and give us this opportunity. Mm -hmm. right. And so I turned off the key to, you know, ignition and I just went back to bed. I didn't take the LSAT. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> from then on, uh, I kind of, tried to create a pathway to becoming a filmmaker. Uh, mm -hmm. This is like 2007, 2008. I started working for the Obama campaign. Mm -hmm. I was helping to like, um, first I was a volunteer. This is a good kind of like hustle story, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I was just volunteering at first and it was, it was really tough to get like a paid staff position at the Obama campaign because everyone's just willing to volunteer. It's such mm -hmm. an yeah. amazing cause because uh, it was his first presidential campaign. And I remember like register, one of the things you have to do as a volunteer is like register voters, right? right? And I was outside a mall, like registering voters and I was there for like two hours and I didn't like register anyone because it's like super tough. Um, yeah. <laughs> and just shout out to everyone trying to register voters this year. If you see someone trying to register you and you're not registered, go and register with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. Help them out. Um, so then like the, the person that the staffer of the Obama campaign who's like overseeing all the volunteers, he mm. happened to be like walking out of a mall getting his lunch. And at that moment, someone came to register to vote. Mm -hmm. So it looked really good that I was registering someone right when he walked out. <laughs> and it like nodded, nodded his head in like approval. Right. And then two weeks later I was hired. Um, oh, wow. And I mean, it, I was working my ass off for sure, but I think that moment like helped and just like sometimes luck is important and just being at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. right. And then I, I worked on the Obama campaign for six months and it was like an amazing experience, but I also not just like I was helping to coordinate like specifically like Asian volunteers that spoke mm -hmm. languages that mm -hmm. they could reach out to older voters. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really great. So it's like, it was, the, I had worked on other campaigns, mm-hmm. but it seemed like the first campaign that was really trying to engage to the Asian voter more. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was doing that, I was also trying to like dabble in the media department, the new media department. This is a mm-hmm. time where, you know, YouTube, Facebook was just starting to kind of grow bigger. And um, I, I, I did some short videos for the Obama campaign just to kind of keep my creative juices going. Mm-hmm. And once the campaign was over, I, I was like, I want to work in the White House. I want to be the one like filming history. Yeah. I wanted to be right next to Obama. And of course, everyone wants that job. There's like yeah. three in the White House. There's probably like a couple hundred like positions that you can fill. Mm-hmm. And then there was like, I forgot the exact number. It was like maybe around like 300,000 applicants who wanted to work That's in that White House. Wow. Like, yeah. And I wanted to get that job. But I, they ended up like offering me a job at the Department of Labor, which was like mm-hmm. not what I wanted to do. <laughs> so then I ended up... Um, not going to work for the government and i i went to go get my uh, graduate degree in filmmaking mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i got my master's in film and solidified yeah. like me being a filmmaker professionally wow that's wow. Right, that was a really long story oh no, no that was a, really good information yeah it's just an amazing <laughs> story you know because as you're telling your story i'm just like dude there's so much parallel of my yes. story you know because <laughs> similar to your family my parents spent two weeks at sea as well and end up in, in the philippines okay and it's and then we end up well we actually moved over to washington dc first oh really okay where in dc um falls church area yeah okay that's where i was organizing volunteers really. <laughs> wow. yeah and then my mom well my mom's from this place in vietnam called najan yeah of course yeah. very beachy and she's like i miss the beach <laughs> so she forced my dad to move move over to california and then they had me <laughs> okay. i was born and raised in cali you know but it's so much parallel with our story too and mm-hmm. there's so many times where my, my similar to your dad my dad would sit there he'll just watch the science channel i'm like dad you can't even understand english that well why are you watching the science channel and he's he's like if i had more time i could have easily been a doctor but because I had you guys, similar story, I had to focus on taking care of you guys, you know? Yeah. Even more parallel stories with us. I was actually studying t- to go to law school too, <laughs> you know? I did, I did also have that reflection, so I ended up, didn't, I didn't go to law school, so I, I went to, well, I continued down my technical path because I'm a software, I was a software engineer, and I started a real estate company, you know? There's so much parallels in your story, and it's like, wow, like, this is, this is, this is the type of story that you want to, Want to capture in this podcast you know i mean i think a lot of people when they're growing up you find you feel yourself to be really alone that you're the only one living the story and then mm-hmm. as the community grows as you start telling your story then you find the ways to connect and like empathize and relate to each other yeah right, yeah i mean yeah everything that you just said i feel like it's very parallel to ahn as well for asian hustle network because like you said you know you were going to be a lawyer Um, You were going to take your LSAT. And I feel like that's very parallel to how a lot of Asians feel. You know, our parents immigrated here. They want us to have jobs that are very stable, become a doctor, become a lawyer, become an accountant, something very safe. Pharmacist, Pharmacist, exactly. But nowadays, (laughs) we're living in a different generation now, you know, and it's hard for our parents to see that because they don't understand, you know, what other way we can make Mm -hmm. money. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of like having that conversation with them, right? And, you know, you mentioning your father, him wanting to become an architect, did you feel like you were kind of helping him fulfill his dream on, you know, being more on the creative side? And then, you know, when was it when your parents were okay with you becoming a filmmaker? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think now seeing he like actually like uses the word crowd, which he's never uh-huh. used you know when oh, i was growing up yeah. and asian parents out there you should tell your kids that you're proud of them when you're proud of them because it does help <laughs> like those, that positive reinforcement does help sometimes mm-hmm. um but i mean i think uh i don't know if it was necessarily to like fulfill my dad's dream because then that's a lot of pressure you put on yourself right yeah. so mm-hmm. you vicariously be or your dad vicariously living through your their child's dreams mm-hmm. right. um, but I did it just reached an epiphany that 
that burden, that responsibility is something that we place on ourselves a lot. Mm -hmm. right. I mean, I can't speak for every obviously Asian American kid, but um, yeah, that Asian guilt is is real, mm -hmm. and we Absolutely. have to yeah. kind of figure out on our own and you know fight for our passions. It's it's not easy. It's something mm -hmm. you have to fight for for sure. Mm -hmm. And but because you love it so much, it's worth fighting for. And I think mm -hmm. yeah. I would totally regret being uh, a lawyer mm -hmm. um, right now. And um, I think it's also important that there are like successful models that asian parents could like or like asian kids can say like oh like look at this guy who's an actor like i can be an actor because of that and you know yeah. there that's the importance of kind of this like of representation on all facets not just representation on screen but like right. representing us on in all industries and just making mm -hmm. sure like um like we're not just because if if you watch tv a lot of times you just see asian doctors or yeah. engineers oh, and yeah. then that's what you know our parents see as the only models of success or the only models of of anything of Asians and yeah, it just perpetuates itself. That's the importance of like culture and media to be able to like educate and inform people of like how multifaceted our community is. Um, to go back to your question about like when are they when did I realize that they were proud? Um, so like five, four or five years ago, I made a film called Live from New York, which is about Saturday Night Live. And it, uh, we had the honor of opening the Tribeca Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And the festival, the opening is quite large, like 3000 seat theater, this really beautiful theater, like a beacon theater. Mm -hmm. And I invited my parents, I flew them over, they were living in Vietnam at the time. And um, because it's the opening night, it's usually like a gala benefit type of thing. And so the tickets are like mad expensive. I think they were like 300, 350 a ticket. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I got free tickets for my parents, and, but it still says the price. And my mom, apparently like my sister was there too. And she's like, mom was like counting the people in the theater and then multiplying that by 350. <laughs> You're not gonna make that much money tonight. And so I was like- parent thing to do. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm gonna make nine hundred thousand dollars tonight, according to them, in one night. <laughs> Maybe that, you know, I started to just disappoint my parents later on that I wasn't making nine hundred thousand dollars a night. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that moment, I think, because it was such a big deal that they were proud of that. And then um, I made this film last year, a short documentary called um, "Where Are You Really From," and that's kind of about my parents journey um, as refugees and I had to interview them and it wasn't like I never talked to them about their story because mm -hmm. I'm sure you know Brian you know as many Vietnamese Americans we don't want to like bring out that trauma again mm -hmm. we're scared to ask again I think that's something that we it's internal to our psychology of like oh, we think that they think this way so that's why we're not going to ask but sometimes we have to be our own people and just do it and mm -hmm. like my parents were very open to telling me the story they wanted to tell me the story because it's kind of passing the history on to the next generation mm -hmm. and um, I remember it was a shorter interview since it's a short documentary my mom immediately after the interview is done she's like oh when are you going to turn my story into like a feature film <laughs> okay i guess that's like a moment where she's there's an acceptance of my vocation that i can be a filmmaker yeah. she will you know entrust me with her story mm -hmm. um so you know it's a roundabout way to saying you're proud of your kids but mm -hmm. now like with the be water um film and like um just all the social you know the newspaper links the press links my dad like will comment i'm proud of you <laughs> that's, that's awesome amazing. man and yeah. it's it's a gradual process you know it doesn't happen overnight it takes a lot of proving that you're capable of doing it mm -hmm. because when we look at it from our parents perspective to do especially our parents they came from a place of war you know when you come from a place of war you're facing a lot of uncertainty most of your life and what feels the most safe you feel certain that mm -hmm. things are going to be okay you yeah. know for for you and i and a lot of people in age and listening right now it's about we're all most likely we're all like first generation you know we're trying to make make a name for ourselves, and it's a gradual process you know like you said you have to keep fighting for your passion you know you keep fighting for what you believe and eventually 
your parents are going to accept that there's multiple facets in multiple ways become successful mm-hmm. without going to the traditional path. And that's what we're all about at AHN, you know? Like, there's so many ways to become successful. And what a new, what the, what, like, a new problem that our generation, gener- like, our new problem that our generation has is that we can't really talk to your parents about, like, mental health issues because they're like, mm-hmm. bro, I came from war. <laughs> you're here telling me that you're depressed, <laughs> you know? And just it's really inspirational to kind of link your story to that to that narrative too. Is like, hey, like we want to do things that make us happy, mm-hmm. you know. We want to do things that are fulfillful, you know. In some ways, we are becoming very westernized in these ideals, but there's more than one way to succeed. And For that's sure, yeah, really important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, would love to know, um, you know, I know you are doing filmmaking in America as well as in Vietnam. Um, would love your perspective on, you know, the differences um, being in that industry in both places um, and just your experiences overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in Vietnam, it's, um, if there's a will, there's a way. There's just that <laughs> Vietnamese ingenuity, like they'll, you know, there's not the right, we don't have the right gear thing for the camera. Like they'll build it out of like something. <laughs> right <laughs> wow uh, so that's you know that's um something positive about vietnam working yeah. there uh at the same time like certain aspects of like safety and accountability <laughs> are, are thrown out the window because of this, if there's a will there's a way attitude yeah. <laughs> but things do move quicker in vietnam is less i mean in some ways there's less bureaucracy the government obviously um there are there are things that get in the way there's still censorship over there mm-hmm. and that's difficult because like a lot of young filmmakers um they like self-censor themselves before they even write the script because they think like oh this is not going to work and this is not going to pass like the censorship board and i always encourage young filmmakers to not be censoring yourself yet like just right. write your first draft of the script and and let it be exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Later on, you can start like chopping away at it, but don't mm-hmm. don't initially self-censor yourself. Um, and the, the problem with censorship in Vietnam too is that um, it's it's not standardized. Mm-hmm. It's kind of subjective, which is like the worst type of like <laughs> government policy when you can't like it's not codified, right? You can't mm-hmm. point to this and like say well, we didn't, you know, there's no, the legal language is, is, you know, not uh, murky. It's very murky in Vietnam. It's like, oh, this is like against the state. I was like, what does that, anything <laughs> against the state, right? Uh-huh. And that, that's something that needs to be addressed, I think. Because um, there's, there's a lot of countries with censorship, Iran, China, mm-hmm. but it's all like codified. And then the, the filmmakers use it as a way to be creative. They see like, okay, you can't do this. Well, then we can be creative around that. We're using a part of our brain that tells us to get around that. Right. But right. If you don't know what to get around, then you're kind of lost. Um, and then, I mean, filmmaking in America, it's, you know, you have accountability and safety, yeah. <laughs> which is good. Uh, but I think it's, it's weird sometimes because some, I'm living like the worst and best of both worlds because mm-hmm. like when I shoot in America I'm like kind of like trying to be more nimble and fluid right. and my producer's like you can't just do that I was like we, yeah. just, we do that in Vietnam all the time <laughs> and then if I go to Vietnam and they do something that's unsafe it's like you right. can never do that in America so I need to like just switch off parts of my brain that see mm-hmm. the positive side as much as possible yeah. and not try to compare it Mm-hmm. When you start comparing it too much, then you're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment. Right. Um, but it's, I mean, Vietnam is really growing in terms of the film industry. When I first worked there in 2010, there's probably like no more than 10 films being made locally. And yeah. like last year, there's like 55, 60. So wow. in the span of uh, like seven, eight years, it's yeah. grown exponentially. So if there's any hustlers out there, I just started a film company with some friends. So if you, if you want to invest in Vietnamese film, it's definitely a good time. All right. Yeah. 
I'm well, sure there are a lot of people. We arranged it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pull it together. It's called East Films. East Films. East okay. Films. Okay. We'll make a note of that, especially in the show notes. Too. Yeah. I mean, the Bruce Lee project is technically like an East Films co-production, and that's mm-hmm. doing pretty well, I guess. So we have a good track record so far. Definitely. And awesome. I really like your approach to everything, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like in some ways you are really bridging the culture between Vietnam and America, especially mm-hmm. Asian culture and Western culture, you know. And seeing you bring, I'm super excited to talk about this part now, like seeing you bring, you know, your narrative of Bruce Lee to America, mm-hmm. that's that's really touching, you know. In some ways, what Bruce Lee has faced, it's still really relevant oh, yeah. of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And I think I think you capture that perfectly mm-hmm. in, in your film, in your documentary, yeah. you know. I mean, can you tell us about like how you got involved in this project? Like, what what series of steps happened for this project to come about? And it's amazing. This accomplishment is amazing. Want to hear more about it? Yeah. Uh, so. I came up with the idea soon after I did the SNL project and I was just thinking of like, what's the next project for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like kind of taking like American icons or iconic institutions like SNL and then Bruce Lee and just like looking at it through the lens of a more personal lens, right? Something as, right. as an immigrant, as an Asian American, mm-hmm. putting a different spin on it because these stories have been told before, but I feel like they're not necessarily speaking to us as an audience. Exactly. And um, so I remember, you know, the SNL film was having like a big theatrical release in LA and all across the country. And I was over here, um, I was living at New York at the time, but I came over here for the LA premiere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just like was trying to connect to Shannon Lee, Bruce Lee's daughter. Mm-hmm. And through just a few like mutual friends, I got connected with her and I wanted to invite her to the premiere of Live from New York because mm-hmm. I didn't want to just send her a link mm-hmm. um, because you, when you're just watching something on your laptop by yourself, you don't get the kind of triumphant feeling of watching something in a cinema full of mm-hmm. audience members where you get the gas and laughs and yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to invite her to this because um, I, I wanted to pitch her this, you know, the film. And it was the best environment because you have like all your friends and loved ones and mm-hmm. fans of the film and fans of SNL. So they just want to like, they're not critical. They just watch the mm-hmm. film and they're like cheering and clapping and laughing. Mm-hmm. It's like the awesome. best possible place for you to kind of pitch yourself <laughs> and yeah. your work, your, your sample work. So that's like mm-hmm. another like insider hustle tip is like (laughs) your work in the the most like optimal situation and circumstance Mm -hmm. possible Mm -hmm. and yeah I mean we kept in touch and um she you know she really liked the film and um, there were just like some things that didn't align for us like with access and who was going to finance and so like a couple years went by where we didn't kind of like work on the film cooperatively and um that's when ESPN came on board mm-hmm. and they were, they weren't on top of my list because I didn't think of Bruce Lee necessarily as a sports figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when you think about it now, he's definitely an athletic right. person and with martial arts, martial arts is kind of the sports of, of mm-hmm. Asia. Right. Um, and I always appreciated like the 30 for 30 series on ESPN. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not like looking at sports just purely in in a kind of myopic view, but looking at it um, in the lens of other issues, like of society, of race, of culture. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I wanted to do with Bruce Lee film is use like Bruce Lee, um, look at him as a person, as a human being, unpacking that myth, but also using him as a vessel to talk about like larger issues, especially like racism in Hollywood mm-hmm. and just like Asian American history and they were down like ESPN was down to do it and uh, that's kind of like how the project got started wow, wow. that's amazing yeah I mean it's, and, it's pretty awesome and really inspirational you know and you capture it around the money yeah and we we watched it it was it was very very inspirational and I think that 
it touches a lot of people's hearts right now. Um, you know, everyone knows of Bruce Lee, but we need these stories and these documentaries to come afloat every now and then to remind ourselves of the history of Asians, you know, and how Bruce Lee was, you know, treated and how relevant that is in today's generation as well. You know, and going back to 1960s, I know you highlighted in the documentary how, you know, Black people were treated differently than Asians because Asians were easier to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. And in that sense, you know, therefore, Asians felt like they were obliged to stay silent, to continue being treated that way, right? And in, in some ways, you know, we're still trying to find our voice in our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, it, it's kind of like a generational limiting belief that comes from our parents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're still trying to break that mental barrier because, you know, a lot of us, we like to stay silent, you know, and that comes from our parents. And I'm just wondering, like, what steps do you think we need to take as Asians um, to get over that mental barrier? Yeah, because we, we think that you capture it. I capture it perfectly in your mm-hmm. story. Yeah. But we need we need to definitely encourage more people to do it. You know, just one person can make a difference, but it's a collective effort. Like we all right. need to work together to push for this this vision that we all want to get to. Yeah, I think I mean Bruce's story is a good example because he had to fight for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, to get his place in Hollywood. I think a lot of people just assume he's this big star, right. but he didn't become really big in Hollywood until sadly after he passed away, after Enter the Dragon came out, right? Yeah. And um, all that racism, all that uh, prejudice that he faced is like these challenges that he had to overcome. But for the most part, like, in terms of like the racism he was facing in Hollywood, he was like facing that on his own. He didn't have like a community that was galvanized around him to um, to like lift him up. Like he had his family, he had his like martial arts uh, group, um, but they weren't helping. You know, they didn't know Hollywood very well, and they mm-hmm. they they couldn't kind of push past what they thought was the system of Hollywood. And like looking forward to now to today, we do have a community and we need to keep on building that community and like mm-hmm. thinking of it as a community and not as like competition. Right. Sometimes mm-hmm. like egos get in the way of people and like, um, you know, so if one person does well, then we all kind of do well, right? It's not, mm-hmm. not a zero sum game. Yeah. Um, and you, you see that with like, all the different, I can, I, I can only speak right now of like the industry of like television and film because that's, mm-hmm. that's what I primarily work in. Mm-hmm. We see actors and actresses, uh, Asian a- actors and actresses on camera, but you need someone who can direct them or put them in that role. So you need casting agents who are right. open. And it's not just about like, Asian casting agents, but like people who realize who are just like woke for <laughs> for lack of a better term to like all the um, prejudices and reasons that representation is important. So there's like, yeah, this idea of like intersectionality between like uh, treating African Americans in a multifaceted way on camera, the same way we treat Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think beyond directors and producers and casting agents that the next step is like making sure like the writers and mm-hmm. the studio executives and the people who are greenlighting projects are also part of this community and understand the importance of, of representation and inclusion. I think even now with like COVID, um, it's even more important that representation doesn't just become trendy, that it's very much uh, something that we feel in our our like hearts and minds because mm-hmm. we're not interacting with people so much like day to day because we're quarantining or we're social distancing mm-hmm. and so like the interaction that we have with society with our strangers with our community mm-hmm. is absorbed through what we see on tv what we read what we watch in, in film right mm-hmm. and that means that those representations have to be there's a larger emphasis on them being more authentic, more honest, more representative 
if that is like the only lens that we're being seen as like we don't want to be seen as just again like the engineer or the yeah. villain or the doctor like we're so many more things than what you see on tv mm -hmm. and so those things have to reflect society and that's why i think yeah i'm fortunate that this film is coming out at a time where there's a lot of anti-asian racism but mm -hmm. also a lot of of uh anti-black racism that's been around for centuries mm -hmm. and i hope it's like a message where uh, that people can learn and take away is that you know bruce never saw uh other people through their race and through the color of their skin he saw them through like the sincerity of their character and like how much they brought themselves to something mm -hmm. and like his relationship with like kareem abdul jabbar mm -hmm. and also his first um student jesse glover was african-american who taught him a lot about uh, how to be cool in America. When you mm -hmm. think about Bruce Lee, you think of cool, right? Yeah. That's because he had friendships, he had allies, he had relationships. And we have to think about the relationships that we continue to build and continue to uh, like look to in order to just reform this society. Because, you know, post COVID um, and then with what's going on with the protests, it's an opportunity for us to like build a more just and kind society, mm -hmm. not to, you know, there's I, not to bring up like the, the group, like Asian Hustle Network, but there are some people who like see it as a, as a way for opportunity and for selfish means. Yeah. And that's them. And I, it's not necessarily judging, but if we are thinking of Asian Hustle Network as a network and a community, how do we make it a community not not just make it like this guy got rich off of the back of someone who who struggled and we have to see that's a zero-sum game like mm -hmm. capitalism is kind of that it's tit for tat and so how do we make it more equitable and we can all still be successful it's not like people think mm -hmm. oh for me to be rich that means i have to take it from somewhere else but think mm -hmm. about like in the long run like is you, you can, yeah, you can, you can be a hustler and be like a, mm -hmm. a kind hustler that that's yeah. not an oxymoron. I would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a mentality, you know, yeah. and I like that line too that you brought up that Bruce Lee said, when, when asked, are you an Asian American? Are you a you know, Chinese? You know, Chinese mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was like, I'm a human under this, under the sky, you know, yeah. it really, it really amplifies his vision and view of how everything is like mm -hmm. he didn't you never saw like you said you never saw anyone by the right that their race saw them by their character mm -hmm. and i i think it's absolutely right too that as you mentioned before the solution is building a, a culture of awareness you know and that you have to be aware of certain things that's going on in order to fix it mm -hmm. you know and if you don't have that culture in place, things are just going to fall back into the way it was before. And that's mm -hmm. just human nature, you know? So I think that solution is really, really appropriate for what's going on currently. And also your abundance mindset reference, you know? Um, you don't have, to, especially as Asian, Asian people, like we, as you grew up, you know, we were compared to our sisters, our brothers, our cousins, mm -hmm. our, our family, or whoever, right? So we always have this competition mentality that if I win, you have to lose. If I lose, you have to win. And you bring a really good point too that there's so much out there. There's so much abundance out there, money, whatever, that we can all win. And you're right. We need to stick together as a community. You know, obviously there are, there are always going to be some bad apples, bad apples inside the group that want to take advantage of everything. But overall, if you can nourish the culture and teach people to give first before you take, it builds a stronger sense of identity and belongness of, of change. You know, it's a secret agent to change. Mm -hmm. So that's super crucial to what you just said, you know. And for you to have that level of understanding, I can kind of see why your films are all very successful. You know, because I, I fully believe that, you know, any type of creation that you, that you do, your personality, it sleeps into every single product, that like, avenue into your project, you know. That's, that's really inspirational that that you're able to help us understand and teach teach this to not only our members but you know to everyone else in the world.
thank you for that. Yeah, and I totally agree with what you say about you know Bruce Lee's mentality as seeing everyone as the same under the sun, you know, and a lot of what we perceive in terms of like race or sexuality or anything like that. We learn these things, you know. We're not born with those opinions, right? We pick these things up from school, from movies, and you know, like your documentary in uh, *Be Water*. All of those, you know, previous movies highlighting Asians, they're usually like doctors, or you know, they have like the Chinaman hat. It's、mm. always like the very same thing. And I think today we are in a better place in terms of films highlighting Asian, you know, people, but. I think we we still have a lot of work to do, right?、Um, and the the thing that we need to do is is just to see everyone as the same. And being a community for Asian Hustle Network, you know, we are a community, but it doesn't mean that we only have to highlight and you know highlight Asian entrepreneurs. The fact that we have a community, we have the platform. For a voice for change, right?、And、I think that's、yeah. the most important thing. And we feel like you're doing your part too,、yeah. changing our image. You know, yeah, yeah. People are, are looking, especially like the younger generation too, the new generation. They're looking at these type of films,、mm-hmm. and you do have an influence. Yeah, especially now. Yeah, yeah.、And、that's amazing. So thank you so much yeah. for that, Bao. Yeah, thank you, Bao. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Yeah, it's hard to, to try to. Yeah, thank you. No, I'm I'm grateful. <laughs> I, it's it's a privilege, right? It's just like what I, um, it's like when you're making this film, you're making a film about Bruce Lee,、mm-hmm. who's like the most iconic Asian American. You see it as a there's a, there's a deep responsibility out of making sure like you're representing the story, right? Representing the community, right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you kind of like you know you change your mentality and think of it as a privilege. You put you're in a Point, your position to like tell the story and、okay. like and understand that privilege and recognize that privilege and what are you going to do with that privilege is important.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean as Asian Americans, we are very not all of us. Obviously, there's a lot of people who are not privileged, but just if you were to take us at face value, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. compared to the African American community, there's so much you know implicit bias with with looking at African American communities for most people. And we don't have that because of things like the model minority myth,、mm-hmm. and we need to break those like systems of of rigidity and tradition that just don't look at people for who they are, and they just look at things again on the surface. Yeah.、Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm. I think that's one of the things that I took away from Bruce and reading and like. Talking to the people that knew him the best, and、mm-hmm. um, and yeah, we can all kind of like learn from each other and grow with with each other, right? Right. Yeah, we're、well, turning into a very kumbaya, which is great. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think this part is you know it's one of the harder conversations to have to even talk about right、mm-hmm. now. I mean. I feel like, frankly, just us talking to more successful Asian entrepreneurs who are older than us, they tend to have this thing where they don't like to be in the spotlight. They don't like to share their story.、Mm-hmm. You know, even when we we first created Asian Hustle Network, people asked us like, "Why are you guys so visible in the network? Can you want to be those type of founders that are like just behind the scenes, just running everything?" But we have to understand that this is the new game. This is a new perspective. You know, that we have to be more. Transparent. Now we have to be more open, be more public about everything. Otherwise, we're just gonna end up re- like recycling history again, and nothing ever gets changed.、Mm-hmm. We're trying to change everything, you know. And we understand you're trying to do it too. And hopefully, together in the future, we all collaborate together.、Yeah. Be awesome, you know.、Yeah. Super excited for that moment. But yeah, I mean, how can our listeners reach out to you and find out more about you? Um, um, I mean, like. If they listen to this podcast and they know a lot about me, I'm <laughs> a lot. So, Bao B A O M N G U I E N is my Instagram handle. Awesome. And,、um, yeah, I'm pretty good at updating that with things, and people definitely watch the film Be Water. It's on ESPN Plus streaming right now,、yes. and.、Um, It's also replaying sometimes if people still have like live TV cable, then you can still watch it on ESPN.、Um, 
and like another like little like Asian hustle hack here. <laughs> you can just if you don't have ESPN Plus, it's only four ninety nine, and then you can cancel it after watching the film. Yeah, <laughs> four ninety nine to watch a film. That's not bad. Yeah, awesome. That's not bad. I have I have one more question. Um, would love to know you know what you're working on next if uh, you can share with us. Um, I don't like. For me, it's like I want to make sure like it's in the bag before I talk too yeah, much about yeah. it. But okay. I can tell you like the type of projects that I'm doing. It's like mm-hmm. uh, I'm reading a lot of Asian American writers, um, trying to really find stories that feel authentic from a place of honesty. Mm-hmm. And because there's again, it's about building the community, like lifting each other up from all different facets of the industry. And so yeah. If I could like help a book or work with an author who didn't think about adapting it uh, on screen to television or film, then that's that's a role I can play. That's you know shoes that I can fill. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all you know. At the same time, we you can be selfish too. Like I think selfishness also like lends itself to selflessness. Like mm-hmm. if we, it's a cycle. And and I think humans, if when they're selfish. When they do when they do something for others, it's because they get something out of it. But I mean, it, yeah, as I said, it's like this cycle of generosity. Mm-hmm. And so if I can make an amazing film by adapting it from someone else's book, mm-hmm. then kind of the cycle that I'm talking about. We're all kind of lifting each other up mm-hmm. together in a way. Yeah. And so those are the stories I'm interested in and getting into more like scripted television because I feel like television that really stays with like it becomes part of the zeitgeist of, of a country where mm-hmm. like you're watching like when Tiger King came out everyone's talking about Tiger King right yeah. <laughs> that is embedded in like what is happening there like right. let's have some like Asian stories be part of that same conversation like I mean I'm, I'm honestly fortunate enough that this is part of a conversation be water like I'm not on Twitter very often and I was watching the premiere with a friend and they're like, you should be checking Twitter. I'm like, why? You're like, you're number five in the country trending. I was like, is that good? <laughs> I was like, what's the difference between like five? I was like, I, you know, the Asian side of me, like, yeah. number one. <laughs> right? the Asian, if I was an Asian parent, like, yeah. A plus only. No, I mean, I'm glad. <laughs> You know, being invited to talk on on mm-hmm. shows like yours and like talking to the community too, not just talking to people who don't know our history, but people who do know the history but feel mm-hmm. like it's nice to kind of hear it again from the unapologetic, unapologetically like Asian American, mm-hmm. like not feeling oh I need to explain like every part like me saying I worked at my parents' store when I was five. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Like, 80% of the listeners yeah. that are even like, oh, five, yeah, that's that's pretty normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's very normal. So no, there's there's definitely, you know, I, I respect like what you guys are doing and thank you. Thank you. I hope um, we can just keep on building communities mm-hmm. and I think community is so important. Uh, it is. It yeah. is. Likewise, yeah. I, I truly do believe that there is strength in community mm-hmm. and you're doing just the same with films. Yeah. Yeah. And congratulations on all your accomplishments. Thank you so much for your time and being on the show. Yes, thank you for sharing your story, Bao. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.